You see, there are still faint glimmers of civilization left in this barbaric slaughterhouse that was once known as humanity. Indeed, that's what we provide in our own modest, humble, insignificant... Oh, fuck it. a gamble watching Wes Anderson movies. <laughs> what did uh, you think? Uh, they weren't bad. They but... actually, actually, it's not a real but. The only but is actually the the only movie that I can just sort of flat out say I did not like was the um, the Life Aquatic movie. Yeah. Uh, I legit did fall asleep like halfway through that movie. It was... <sighs> I think for that movie... The 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 humor the humor wasn't really humorous enough. He wasn't necessarily the movie wasn't visually as interesting as I expected it to be. Um, I felt like I was just sort of trailing the movie just to see where it goes, but it didn't go anywhere nearly as quickly as it should have. Um, it was. I don't know, like, did you, well, did you ever attempt to watch the movie? Yeah, I watched, like, the first half, and I ran out of time. Uh, I agree that it is not as strong as his post-animation stuff. Uh, I'll elaborate on what I mean by that in a minute, but I still, I, I enjoyed it because I enjoyed Bill Murray in it. I, I didn't even enjoy Bill in that, like, that's, and that was actually kind of surprising, like, um, I, I enjoy Bill Murray a fairly decent amount. He actually, it's so weird. He actually wrote like a golf book a couple of years ago. <laughs> well, not a couple, but I think it may be like 20 years ago. And it's like very little about golf and like much more just about uh, life and people in this really abstract written book. Mm-hmm. And that book was pretty enjoyable. So I kind of understand like the Bill Murray experience is going to be something completely off center. So, and I think yeah. that's he was attracted to life aquatic, but, um, I, I don't, I, I really like Bill Murray. I also will say that I don't have any nostalgic attraction to him at all. So like I saw ghostbusters for the first time in December. Whoa. So yeah, it, you're not, it just you're not wasn't a, a movie. You're not a child of the eighties. Like that's the whole thing. Like from, Scrooge movies, Groundhog Day. But also, like, they're just not, and this is this is not a dig at all on my upbringing, so I apologize if it sounds judgmental, but, like, that's not the movies that, like, my family and I grew up kind of communing on together. We have a copy of Scrooge in the basement. I've never watched it because no one was ever really excited to watch it. I mean, I think Bill Murray is, is a generation of the rerun generation like like groundhog day on like tnt or like tbs like that's just something you just sort of caught and there was nothing that 
depending on how much you lived on TV, like during like the mid mid nineties, like early two thousands, like like you can just sort of catch things. Like Bill Murray wasn't someone that my parents or even my friends, in all honesty, put me on. It was something that like I used to constantly watch, like cable, like cable. And so I've watched Groundhog Day. If I'd estimate at least two dozen times, I mm-hmm. I never. I never owned it. I never even, um, I never saw it in a movie theater. It was just something I was just sort of constantly on. Um, the only actually the only movie of Bill Murray's that I ever bought was um, Lost in Translation, and mm-hmm. that was like a five dollar DVD bin pickup. Yeah, uh, I had, I kind of had I. I only heard of it like on a very fringe sort of level. I didn't like know anything about the movie at all. I just saw him sitting in a bathrobe on a on a bed, and I just said, "Fuck it." Um, but yeah, Bill, like Bill Murray, like um, not necessarily Eddie Murphy because black folks love Eddie Murphy, but but like um, movies. I'm trying to think of like a lot of just movies that are on TV that like that. Uh, a lot of cable movies that just kind of happen to just be there all the time. Um, now, like the rerun thing isn't like reruns on TV. Like that's just not a, a real thing anymore now because, well, one, like most people just sort of cut the cord. Like I haven't owned, I haven't had cable like real cable, and I, I think the last time I had real cable was like 2013. Um, mm-hmm. so, well, actually, you know, well, no, yeah, I've, yeah, I've never, like, had cable really for 2013, like, there are, like, spots, like, here and there where I was kind of staying with people that had cable, but, like, this is, like, year seven of me not having, like, a cable bill on my name. Yeah. Um, so, I wondered, for you specifically, like, were you someone that when you grew up, were you just glued to TV all the time, or was it, were you more of, like, glued to books all the time? I was, I was more of a books, uh, in, in my mind, TV was, like, I definitely watched some TV, uh, but I also didn't have, like, free reign of whatever, like, I was very supervised, so I had a couple channels I could stick with, and that was it. Oh, so, Oh yeah, during the Skin and Max era, I was <laughs> I was not monitored. <laughs> I like I had parental controls on my internet until I was in high school. Ooh wee! Well, that's and, a like, good thing actually. I'm sorry, that's a good thing to keep going. But like, it made it like I couldn't watch like YouTube. I couldn't listen to like certain musics like all i could do was basically play the like paint barbie's nails game and go to club penguin so like i i didn't even really know what like people were engaging with past a certain point you know that was not a space that like i really engaged with and a lot of what we did watch was stuff that was on you know stuff we owned so whether that was the Star Wars movies or the Lord of the Rings or whatever, we would go to Hollywood video sometimes, but Hollywood video was a thing that I usually did with my babysitters, not like with the family. Wow. Like, so even like, like a, well, shit, uh, I was going to say like a blockbuster night, but I feel like, 
by the yeah. time. Okay, so oh, so there was, like, a, there was a blockbuster and a Hollywood video in Medford. Hollywood video was just a little bit closer. We were members we, to both. But would you say that was more so like post nine eleven? Because like the, like the, even like the trademark blockbuster night like that was a super thing like relegated to the 90s and so like yeah like a blockbuster night was like a real thing like we would go in like try to find maybe one or two movies maybe like a video game or two to rent which was super clutch back then mm-hmm. um even and it was kind of expensive but like we would try to do a thing. It wouldn't necessarily be a set like every Friday we're trying to go to Blockbuster, but we would like whenever me and my mom and my dad were all living together, um, we did actually try to do that fairly, fairly uh, frequently. Honestly, I would say like every two to three weeks, nothing even longer than that. Mm-hmm. So we did have that sort of communal experience. I didn't get into like the well like having own like cable set in the bedroom having it like on private tv like that wasn't really a thing until oh that's the thing i still like, don't have school. i don't have a tv uh, in yeah. my bedroom i i have only had a tv in my bedroom when i was at college yeah so that's and that's the thing like when when i was in middle school and this is like um seventh grade um, and so this is like 99, like that's when I had, actually I'm lying. I'm thinking right now, like going back, even in elementary school, uh, when, when me and my mom and dad lived together, I had like a personal little TV, like in my bedroom and I could watch like Snick and, uh, Disney, like when I was like super, super young and like every Every Friday night, it would be a new movie on Showtime. And then every Saturday night, it would be like a new movie on HBO. When We, we when, got HBO when I was in college. Ooh, yeah. Like, yeah. we were, we we had, like, basic cable, we had, like, a slightly more advanced package, but we did not have HBO, we did not have, we, that was not a thing. Uh, I still don't have a television in my room. I'm 22. Yeah. Uh, yeah, like, I think that's, that's just sort of, I guess, the difference of the, whenever, like, video really sort of blew up in America, where... You don't have to go to the movie theaters every time, like, and also the communal aspect of having the TV in the living room, like, that wasn't necessarily everything. Like, we had like personal TVs in our bedroom, and that was sort of the, that was sort of the, um, I guess, really the start of like my just sort of being glued to TV because I had free reign to watch anything I wanted. Um, and yeah, like it's funny. I was actually thinking about this like a couple of weeks ago. Like now, like I don't have a TV in my bedroom, but at the same time, like I'm like always in my living room anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, when I was when I was living with someone, like we never had like a TV in a bedroom, but we always hung out in the living room anyway. Um, so yeah, like the, the sort of going. It's funny. Like I was a kid who, from basically when I was a kid up until. 
I graduated high school. I was someone who had access to cable television and also my own private TV, my own private VCR uh, for the very most part. When I graduated and went to college, it sort of went on and off. Like for all the time I was in college, I think I really had cable like freshman year in the dorms um, and like for like maybe two or three years other than that. But like for the most part, when I turned 18 until now, which is 34, like I haven't had cable for longer than like six years in total. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, it is kind of funny, like being glued to like growing up with cable and then now cable not being like in my life at all. Like, I never would have thought like that would have ever happened before. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I definitely think that affected how I communed with movies. I think the communal aspect of movies is I thinking about it like I think the communal aspect of movies is super enjoyable but for the most part um I can only really imagine only a handful of times of being in someone's like house or someone's living room and like a bunch of us watching something together like more than like three or four people I'm talking maybe like maybe like five or six people huddled up like around the TV like um, other than for like a sporting event um, I can only remember a handful of times of doing that like in someone's house but for the movie theater aspect of it like that's something I always enjoy like especially getting into Star Wars like in my adulthood and then the new movies coming out like in the theaters and like seeing people nerd out over that like um, and sort of like cosplaying and like having like uh, laser sword fights like before the movie starts like that was actually really enjoyable. They didn't like they outlawed like people wearing masks to movie theaters out here. So when I moved out here and the, the Star Wars films came out like I lost that experience, which really fucking sucked. But when I was still living in West Virginia, they weren't doing that. So I call like Rogue One and I call it Episode um, Seven. And then people were still cosplaying for that, and I fucking loved it. It was so fun. Yeah. Um, I I cosplayed for the Rogue One premiere. Nice. Would uh, you Would you dress as? I have a a really nice Ray costume. Ooh, nice. Uh, Episode One specifically, uh, and it was custom made to go with my skin tone, so it's like a little more lavender toned than it is in the movie, but like it it kind of works for for me because I'm not exactly daisy ridley colored <laughs> i think you guys are about the same i don't know she's I got have... different she's got different undertones so the more yellow kind of colorway of her outfit works better for her oh i don't know what undertones are girlfriend i'll go with it though I, I believe you i believe you so uh you know it's a whole it was. It's a really sweet costume. I haven't worn it in a while, uh, just for a bunch of a bunch of reasons, uh, most of which are uh, Rise of Skywalker. Um, <clears throat> happy May the Fourth. Mm, um. <laughs> May the Fourth be with you, and not that shitty ass last movie. <laughs> and with your spirit. Oh man, are we gonna? I know you said you're gonna watch Skywalker. In the near future. Yeah. And I said I was going to wait until December. 
if it helps, I wrote a thousand word paper about that I haven't posted yet because I'm not done with it yet. But uh, about uh, Mr. Abrams. Oh shit! Did um did you decide of where you're gonna post that yet? I or? mean, it's it's going on my. I'm gonna send it to the editor of Nerd Caliber and just be like, hey, do you want this? And if he says yes, I do, then I'll post it there. If he says, nah, I'm good, then it's going to go on my site. Regardless, though, you will be able to access it from my site because I will, of course, post a link to the Nerd Caliber website because, God, I need content. Fuck. Um. <laughs> uh, yeah, I we all need content either to make it or to consume it. So I definitely hear that, man. I haven't written very much beyond like my letterbox reviews and... I didn't post anything this last Sunday, uh, yesterday, but I'm trying to get a feel of pieces I, I want to write about. Um, like editing the podcast, not only ours, but like the, the last two podcasts I've done with Kellen, um, I found like that's like been my creative outlet, mm-hmm. but I kind of, I want to write about something, but I'm getting like ideas for music to write about. Um, mm-hmm. I was thinking about writing about my time in quarantine, but I don't know if I really want to get like that depressed <laughs> on my website. Mm-hmm. Um, well, the, actually, the funny thing is, it's not really. To be frank, like it's not all depressing. It's like a sort of mis- uh, mishmash of both, honestly. But I'm still at least trying to think about things I actually want to write about. Um, because I I have a real hard time of writing like while in my house. Like I have to be out. Mm-hmm. Like I have to. I just have to be outside of these walls to like write. So I still need well to write like for stuff I want to post publicly. Yeah. Um. So I'm really trying to figure that out. Yeah, I feel that honestly. Uh, I've I've literally been setting up a chair on my front steps and doing a lot of my writing out there. Yeah. Uh, I've also been been I've made it a point to learn or to make something, whether that is learning chords for a song or writing something or, you know, whatever. Um, that's been I think helpful. So <laughs> you said you had no inkling to go back to uh, Life Aquatic at all. Ah. Uh, no, like I'll I'll finish it at some point. I'm sure. Uh, I just ran out of time today. So basically, we were gonna cover Moonrise Kingdom, Grand Budapest Hotel, and the Isle of Dogs. Mm-hmm. So, kind of your first thoughts. Did you watch these like concurrently, or did you? Well, I guess you already you watched Grand Budapest Hotel. I did rewatch it. Uh, uh, so for this, I actually started with uh with isle of dogs because that was the one i had not seen yet um so i i watched that first then uh then i watched moonrise kingdom then grand budapest okay all of the three movies is grand budapest hotel still your favorite yeah but i think that both of the other other films are excellent like I, I genuinely really enjoy them and I think they're both really good. And I had such a wonderful time watching Moonrise Kingdom uh last night. Like dad my dad and I just sat down together, we had a glass of wine each and just watched the whole movie in one sitting and it was 
very pleasant. I forgot how much I really liked it. I haven't seen it nearly as many times as Grand Budapest. That may be because I don't have a digital copy of it. What are some of the things about Moonrise that that stand out to you that you are really attracted to? Wes Anderson's modern style. To see how films that he made kind of before that and then after that. The things that I noticed is that his cinematography is almost completely different. I find tracking shots that are very symmetrical and even and clearly on a crane very welcoming uh i find them super engaging and i like that he likes to layer so he they're talking to uh jason schwartzman the uh one of the troop kind of eagle scout equivalents and uh just a kid goes by on a zip line in the background and yeah, you can hear that. you can hear like a muffled screaming and like the way that he layers stuff, I really, really love. My daddy's podcast is called Hyphenation. It's the world's greatest podcast. Barack Obama proved. On Hyphenation, my daddy talks about all kinds of cool things. And sometimes I'm on the podcast too. Sometimes he has his friend Marcus on. Sometimes he stays up really late and he's tired the next day. That's worth it. But I love this podcast, and I love this podcast. So I really want you to listen to Hyphenation. So Daddy doesn't get sad. He really doesn't get sad, though, because he has me. All right, please listen to Hyphenation. Thanks, y'all. I love the podcast, so please, please, please try to join. But if you know it. Perfect. Thank you. Can we hear it now? I I was getting this watching Moonrise Kingdom. I was it really hit me, and it kept repeating in my brain, like this is like someone who has this is a wet dream for someone who has OCD. Mm-hmm. Like every line and every like uh, horizon and like point of view, like everything is tries to be symmetrically perfect at all times and i kind of got lost in sort of visually just sort of computing that with like every sort of scene like especially he notches he like notches it up supremely in grand budapest hotel and i just like whenever i first watched isle of dogs it was kind of like i'm always looking for the shapes mm-hmm. which I think is it kind of takes away from the movie, honestly, um, because I feel like he's juggling the aesthetic, but I feel like I I wonder I wonder this question out loud. I don't really know the answer to it, but do you think he he sacrifices story for the visual aesthetic? Um, because I feel like with all three of these movies, he's like really championing like what beautiful uh filmography can actually look like like i think mm-hmm. all three of these movies are really beautifully done and i do think they're pretty meticulous and like i said like all of the point of views that he wants to actually capture but do you think in some way this takes away from the actual quality of the movie because for me like it, it came kind of borderline distracting and i don't know if it was like a clutch or 
something along those lines where it's like like a like a parlor trick that he's pulling off with each new scene. Uh, I, but do you think that kind of takes away from like the overall movie? Uh, no, actually. Um, I think uh, that it, it is used to further accentuate a lot of the surreal aspects of the narrative that he is trying to put in place. I did find some of the the scenes and sequences in Isle of Dogs to be a little bit visually cluttered. Uh, but I think that was kind of the, the look he's going for. Uh, but I, I genuinely feel that he is trying to tell, at least, especially with Moonrise Kingdom, a pretty simple story in the most biblical way possible. There's, uh, you know, he's he's trying to tell almost a proto-Noah's Ark story. Yeah. And I think that the surrealist kind of off-the-beat aesthetic of that is used to to kind of poke holes in that big idea, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um. So, like, the fact that Bill Murray is wearing the same pants in every scene, but are they're all every single time he walks in a door, it's a different color of plaid, <laughs> is a real dumb visual joke. Yeah. But, like, it says a lot about his character, you know, or the fact that the camera is only handheld when it's focusing on Sam Shikusky. Because he, in this very orderly world, is kind of an anomaly. Yeah. You know, uh, in Grand Budapest Hotel, part of the reason that, you know, everything in that world is pristine, including the camera work. Like, I think it's, it's, adding to the narrative in a lot of little subtle ways, but I also think that it is definitely like an adjustment. Does that make sense? Like you as a viewer have to like kind of focus in on the fact that he is trying to make stop action animation with real people. Yeah. I think, I I think everything you're saying is correct. Um, I think the, and I do think that he does use like these visual tricks to further like either disorient the viewer or try to amplify the story in a bit. Um, but even in a case for Owl of the Dogs, like, um, yeah, there were times in Owl of the Dogs where it kind of was sort of visually cluttered, um, where maybe if he try something different i feel like maybe that that movie could have been a bit better um because i watching out of dogs like i was sort of confused of if this was supposed to be a, a kids movie or not and it's not it's pg-13 would it have been better though if it were pg though i i i am of two minds of this uh one is that they're animals 
And I feel like having a talking animal movie that shows animals being animals, not Disney animals, yeah, is valuable and and interesting. Uh, and I'm also, generally speaking, a big advocate for for adult animation, and I think stop motion because it's often kind of hard to produce. Uh, does not have a lot of kind of adult applications. Uh, like, say, something like, I don't know, Rick and Morty. <laughs> um, I guarantee that I'm going to get more hate for disliking Rick and Morty than any other hot take I ever put out on this show. Uh, but anyway, so... No, nah, Rick and Morty is not that good. And people can like it. That's that's if you like it, you like it. I don't have to like that shit. I don't like that shit. Basically. Me neither. Uh, in my mind, though, uh, like Isle Isle of Dogs, perhaps is so cluttered and so messy as a movie because it is trying to show people through this kind of very simple lens that life is often messy and pretending that animals aren't animals isn't going to make them act like you want them to. I agree that, you know, having fables, it can be very powerful. I just don't, I just don't, I don't, I don't get the, I don't get the sense that Isle of Dogs is just a, has a kind of a powerful story, honestly. I think it's, I think it was a sweet movie. I think it was, like I said, it was originally done pretty well. There were some of the characters in the movie that I I do like, but I feel like I think it's kind of hard for even taking the the idea of dogs sort of you know talking you know talking like humans, trying to you know find a spot, trying mm-hmm. to escape the island like. I feel like he could have finessed it to make it. I really, I think he could have finessed that to make it a children's movie, but a better version of the movie. Wait a second. Before we attack each other and tear ourselves to shreds like a pack of maniacs, let's just open the sack first and see what's actually in it. It might not even be worth the trouble. Hi. A rancid apple core, two worm-eaten banana peels, a moldy rice cake, a dried-up pickle, tin of sardine, bones, a pile of broken eggshells, an old smushed-up rotten gizzard with maggots all over it. Okay, it's worth it. Get out of here and don't come back. Sheesh, Igor. I I think he chewed your ear off. Hmm, hmm. There's like total like violent parts where you know you do see blood, you do see violence. Um, I feel like that movie could have been elevated by just taking some some of the edge off and sort of mm-hmm. it, like you know building upon other parts of the movie than what it was. Um, I saw in Letterboxd she gave it a three and a half, right? Yeah, I gave it that too. Like, um, I I don't think 
my three and a half is not bad in any way. No. It's for me personally, like like a three or three and a half is a movie that I would say is about average. Um, mm-hmm. Maybe a little bit. Maybe the parts are a little bit better than average, but like I I really don't see myself really revisiting Dog of Isles again. Um, that's not something that I would. I see myself really seeking out to watch again. But I do say that like Grand Budapest Hotel, like if I do see that on you know like Hulu or HBO Go, like that is something that I would take time to watch again. Um, it, Moonrise Kingdom, which I think of the three movies that we watched, I think Moonrise Kingdom is probably my favorite of the three. Mm-hmm. Um, I really like. I think his relationship with young boys and them finding love is a little bit interesting. Um, I, I I wrote one note for Moonrise Kingdom that's kind of, I would say, in that vein. And it is, God, Sam is really fucking insufferable, but you can tell that the narrative loves him. <laughs> <laughs> um. <laughs> and like I yeah. one of the things that I think that I, I noticed while revisiting a couple Wes Anderson movies in such a short period of time is that he brings this I don't even know how to describe it except to say a love and I know that sounds very cliche but he brings this love to these characters and to these stories that like, I don't know that we always see. I believe that somewhere in his heart of hearts, you know, and I don't know that he would ever say it like this, but like Wes Anderson loves every character he's made. I could see that. And you can, I think really feel it. Um, You know, even like, I'm trying to think of like, even Tilda Swinton in a, in Moonrise Kingdom, who's only in it for, like, maybe the last 15 minutes or so. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, you can tell he loves her. And it's it's really, like, every single khaki scout, I guarantee, you know, he has a backstory for, he has this care for. It It kind of almost reminded me of Wendy a little bit, where it felt like every character in that movie had a, a really strong connection to the director's heart. And I think that, to me, is really almost intoxicating. Keep going, keep going. I feel like he doesn't cast a lot of judgment, especially in Moonrise Kingdom. Yeah, like, because even... Nobody's we the have, bad guy. Yeah, like, we have these two children who have this... Well, you have the girl who has, like, a more clear-cut history of violence but at the same time like but it's he, he kind do- of implied that the violence only started when she found out that her mom was having the affair no that's what i'm saying like you can see that yeah like this is a, a young girl that lashes out but obviously it's something that is not of her control and so she's not a she's not a bad person like you know, she did stab somebody up. She did pull a shank out. But at the same time, it's sort of like if these boys weren't hyper violent toward her and her boyfriend, she would not have shanked anyone. Mm-hmm. So there's no real judgment in that. Yeah. Um, 
So yeah, so even I, even the parents that scene where Francis McDormand and Bill Murray are lying next to each other in bed, like, and I I think that being cooped up inside has made me a little bit more emotional about things I wouldn't necessarily normally get emotional about. But when they're lying in their Lucy and Ricky beds on the yeah. other side of the room from each other. And uh, she says, you know, we have to be better. We're all there. Ha- we're all they have. Which of the injuries are you apologizing for specifically? Specifically the ones that still hurt. But the, neither of them are the villain. Like, they're still two concerned parents who are trying to do right by their kid. And Wes Anderson loves them. You know, uh, Bruce Willis, who is trying to you know, who is upset that this affair is ending, but still adopts the kid and, you know, objectively, right, he's the homewrecker. A lot of narratives would probably cast him in a little bit of a shitty light or Francis McDormand in a little bit of a shitty light. And it casts them as sad, sure, and lonely and and maybe even desperate, but there's no question of if that makes them good or bad. And I think that's something that I really, I love in a narrative. Yeah, different movies and different directors, they would sort of make a sort of big thing of like, you know, this woman having an affair with this this lonely cop. Like that would be like a branch onto itself. But and that, Wes Anderson's not really interested in that. Right. And like they there would be a judgment. There's always a moral judgment. Yeah. You know, uh, and that doesn't exist here. Uh also, just on a small level, uh, the Camp Ivanhoe music layers up on that Benjamin Britten that they used as uh, Susie and Sam's leitmotifs really nicely. <laughs> uh, so all of the rests in uh, the Benjamin Britten piece that they use uh, have that little trumpet trill in there. And they don't sound good together. And I kind of love that. And this is kind of what I mean when I say, like, I feel like he's not really passing any judgment. It's like, they don't sound good together, but it's what they want. (laughs) You know? I love that there's a lot of moments of male vulnerability in his movies. Actually, my favorite, one of my favorite scenes in Moonrise Kingdom is when Bruce Willis is, he's fixing the sausage for, Mm -hmm. for the boy and, like, He's just basically saying, you know, he's admitting some of his, you know, things that grown men don't typically want to admit, like how they, you know, handle things like incorrectly, like they're not the smartest. Um, I, I I really like that scene a lot. I also I was really fond of the earnestness that Ed Norton got to have with that little scene on the boat. Yeah. Where he sits down with Sam and says, like, I am sorry. I didn't have relevant context and like I feel that I may have treated you poorly because I didn't know. And even when all of yeah. the khaki scouts get together and say like wait a minute. Wait a minute. Like we didn't like him but like we didn't know and also Jesus Christ they might freaking lobotomize him. I really like that it it value this movie values learning. 
Yeah. And I think that that makes it such a powerful kind of still childlike and childhood narrative, but a very adult one at the same time. I feel like people forget that it's okay to change their opinions when they get new information. Uh, people, <laughs> I think by the time you hit adulthood, people kind of forget that lesson. I also really I th- love when Sam says to uh, Susie, after Susie says, like, I always thought orphans' lives had more meaning. I love you, but you don't know what you're talking, talking about. about. I always wish I was an orphan. Most of my favorite characters are. I think your lives are more special. I love you, but you don't know what you're talking about. Love you too. Is like such a like that's a line I need to employ more. <laughs> I feel like that's a I feel like that may be the takeaway from the movie. You can love someone even though they're full of shit. <laughs> well, no, you can love somebody even when they're wrong. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, whether that's wrong for you or wrong about a specific thing, you know. I really, really liked this movie. Hearing you talk about it, I don't. Well, I don't necessarily want you comparing and contrast as far as like negatives, but hearing you talk about the movie, I'm actually kind of surprised that you. I feel like you. I'm kind of surprised you like Grand Budapest Hotel more because it, it sounds like you talk about this movie with like a bit more fondness than kind of what I would have guessed, honestly. I'll be honest, Wes Anderson movies, especially in the most kind of recent half of his filmography they all really speak to me in a lot of different ways um even isle of dogs which i think should have been a little more about i think it needed like one more pass at a script uh i i I agree with that i kind of liked how messy it was in a lot of ways too one of the things that i noticed is that in every single one of his movies there's a at least one character that's like, well, did you hear this, 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 and this? And, like, that's his function. Yeah. And the one of the little fun things that I found out, I mean, I think after watching these three movies, you might have noticed that he has a lot of favorite actors and actresses. Oh, yeah. But uh, yeah. the voice of Peppermint in Isle of Dogs was Susie. Nice. And, like, she she's in there a lot. Obviously, Bill Murray's in there a lot. Jeff Goldblum, Tilda Swinton. Uh, Harvey Keitel. Which... Yep. Quick sidebar, we talk about older Hollywood actors who get acclaim, but for whatever reason, Harvey Keitel is not in that conversation. He definitely needs to be in that conversation. I think I've heard his name come up a lot recently, but I don't know why. What did, what did he do recently that I like heard about? Oh, well, he was in Taxi, or The Irishman, which I heard about. Yeah, but he's, he's only an Irishman for, like, two scenes at the max and Mm -hmm. that movie's like four days long which is like really surprising yeah uh yes and he's also in uh grand budapest as well uh yep i was i was so shocked i'd never seen him shirtless and bald before i never i never seen him look that way before and then for that (laughs) no uh you know, Jeff Goldblum obviously comes up a lot. Willem Dafoe, Adrian Brody, uh, Jason Schwartzman is just got his grubby little fingerprints all over everything. Ed Norton. Uh, yes, which one which, was uh, been down since Rushmore? Yeah. 
Ed Ed Norton, I just want to like give a major shout out because I feel like every movie that he's in that's not a Wes Anderson movie is him being like angsty, like angry as fuck. And seeing him be like sweet and earnest and dweeby and like all of the things that Wes Anderson has cast him as is like very nice. Yeah, he was kind of like that in um a little bit like that in Rounders, but more of like a scumbag. Yeah. <laughs> it's like it's funny talking about careers like Ed Norton's career it was initially like basically around like the Rounders era, like mid nineties, mm-hmm. where he was going to be like the next like thing. But he kind of he just kind of never took off like he he probably should have but he's always been mm-hmm. like a really talented actor maybe it was american history x like even though that because that movie like i mean he's a skinhead but it's sort of like that movie really had like a cult status that mm-hmm. like you only had you only heard about american history x like through second hand and so i don't know if hollywood sort of like stayed away from him because of that or he just didn't want to be like a hollywood sort of clog or whatever mm-hmm but um, I think his career, he had a great career. He has a great career, but I think it, it could have been elevated in some ways. I agree. You have your orders. Use the orienteering and pathfinding skills that you've been practicing all summer. Let's find our man, bring him safely back to camp. Remember, this isn't just a search party. It's a chance to do some first-class scouting. Any questions? Lazy eye. What's your real job, sir? I'm a math teacher. Why? What grade? Eight? You need a PhD for that? Lazy I know, but you know what? We're actually in the middle of something here, in case you didn't notice. One of our scouts is missing, and that's a crisis. Anybody else? Redford. What if he resists? Who? Shikusky. Are we allowed to use force on him? No, you're not. This is a non-violent rescue operation. Your mission is to find him, not to hurt him under any circumstances. Am I making myself understood? Yes. Good. I'm gonna change my answer, in fact. This is my real job. Scoutmaster, Troop 55. A math teacher on the side. So I, I'm really fond of Moonrise Kingdom. But I, I think that Grand Budapest Hotel is my still my favorite. I don't know that I would necessarily say that it's better. Uh, oh, yeah. I don't, I don't necessarily want you to think in terms of better or not. But kind of discuss, you know, a little bit, you know, why hotel like really registers with you um because mm-hmm. i do think that for directors it if they are like really diverse in kind of the movies that they make the different movies can have and fulfill sort of different functions mm-hmm. but what about grand budapest feels like it's sort of different function for you yeah so one of the things that i i i really struggled to take notes for this one because i've seen it a lot yeah. One of the things that I, I love about this movie is that I just find myself smiling at <laughs> everything. So, like, even in the opening scene, right, like, there's that woman and she has the key that she goes to hang in the graveyard in Lutz. Yeah. And you hear the yodeling, right? Yep. There are three men sitting on a bench yodeling. Yep. But it's real quick. And that, that kind of very kind of seedy it's kind of a seedy and gross story right like 
there's art thieving, there's like a murder for hire, there is a guy who takes advantage of the fact that old women will tip him heavily if they sleep with him. Like, there's a lot of, like, weird stuff going on, right? There's, like, Like a a, a lesbian finger-bang portrait. Yeah. It shit's icky. But it's covered in this ridiculous... Quasi-Nazis. Yeah. Oh, they're they're Nazis. It's fine. Yeah, Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's covered in this ridiculous gloss of pristine. Yeah. And it's kind of, like, the same way that I find, like, you know whatever this is going to sound real dumb but like i think fake flowers are really funny because they're like this this thing that is supposed to represent beauty mentality and life and they're made of plastic that contradiction is is never not funny to me like the <laughs> fact that this seedy you know this whole seedy story is happening in this beautiful candy colored dreamscape it's like a barbie's dream house from hell. <laughs> and I love it. You know, I love that the picture they publish in the paper of Madame D, she has one eye open and one shut and it looks like, you know, like it's all, everything is so 11. Yeah. every but, that's, a, that's a good way to describe this movie. Everything is on 11. Keep going. But at the same time, the heart of that movie is so deep like every time i see that scene of zero and agatha on the carousel yeah yeah that's a good shot and it's it's a good shot but also the inscription in the book is so uh, earnest like the earnestness is at 11 too here thank you it's a book i see Romantic Poetry, Volume 1, and Mr. Gustav recommended it. I have a copy of my own as well. I ruined the surprise, I suppose. I'll go ahead and open it anyway. Okay. Read the inscription. For my dearest darling, treasured, cherished Agatha, whom I worship, with respect, adoration, admiration, kisses, gratitude, best wishes, and love, from Z to A. So that still seems deep and real and that shot with all the lights going behind her i have that as a gif like i'm literally looking at it as like a looping gif right now and it is making me a little bit misty because it's such a like good representation of like that first love feeling i was gonna say like that's actually the motif that i think wes is kind of fascinated with about how young boys fall in love with young girls and i think that carousel scene in particular it does sort of it does really play into like that sort of fantasy of how when you when you fall in love for the first time like that's it visually Mm -hmm. that's what it that's what it feels like 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 you see this person they're completely beautiful to you and only they matter in that particular moment But at the same time, the thing that I love about the Grand Budapest Hotel is that it is also the story of Zero's first friendship. Yeah, like he's he's a kid from a war-torn country. He's, I mean, he's literally a refugee, and he befriends this old white man. And it's and it's actually a really initially, you know, it's obviously like a business relationship or whatever, but. They do blossom it into like a true, genuine friendship that kind of even goes maybe even a little bit beyond that. Um, so 
not even it's you know yes it's this beautiful love story but it's also this beautiful i don't even know if self-discovery discovery of others but like the the type of first love that zero discovers throughout this movie is not strictly romantic and i think that may be why i love it so much it's not too much cheese it's not too much cheese but also like he discovers friendship he discovers love he discovers loss you know in a in a different way than he had known before and also every every shot in this movie is so good this is a movie that i remember seeing in theaters i went with my mom i went with my mom's friend susan and and me we went in davis square we saw it on film and i was smiling the whole time (laughs) <laughs> I just watched Jeff Goldblum get murdered by Willem Dafoe, and I am overjoyed. <laughs> like, it's it's horrible, but also, like, I don't mind this candy-colored gloss over a movie with a surprisingly high body count. The scene yeah. where they are escaping the prison, and it's that cool mix of, like, animation and real life. Yeah, yeah. Is so joyful. Yeah, I think... Moonrise Kingdom and Grand Budapest Hotel. I do really like both of those movies. And the funny thing is, like, coming off of Moonrise Kingdom, I didn't, I, I didn't necessarily have expectations that Budapest Hotel would be as good. Um, but even in the first couple of minutes, when things, you know, kind of sort of pick up, like, I kind of knew it would be like a different ride. Mm-hmm. And yeah, and like I said, like. It did really kept, you know, in my mind of how, bro, these are a lot of fucking lines and a lot of fucking squares and a lot of rectangles right now. And, like, you know, he's obviously, like, achieving this sort of this artistic feat in geometry. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but um, but it wasn't – that wasn't something that was too much to bear, honestly. Like, um yeah, yeah, I was looking forward to each scene, each new scene. And I think maybe that's how, maybe that's kind of my perception of why I was a dog isn't necessarily, in my mind, as good as other two movies. Because I came off looking at those two movies, and now this this other movie is doing kind of the exact same thing. So it kind of feels like a little bit, a little bit overkill, I would say. Um, but in Moonrise Kingdom and in Budapest Hotel, like it wasn't overkill at all. Like, mm-hmm. like I'm pretty sure if I watched Budapest Hotel like tonight, I would still feel like very positive about it. In ways that I don't, I don't necessarily think I would feel very positive about our dogs. Hiya, puddins! It's your girl Holly Quinn, aka Dr. Holly and Quinzel, here to tell you all about it's like a podcast or whatever. We talk about nerd stuff and life stuff. And if you want to know what we're about, check out the Powie Awards, our 100th episode Q and Slay, or theater from our butts. Have a good day, puddins, and love, trust, and belief. One of the things that I, I have found is that every time I watch Grand Budapest Hotel, I find something else that I love about it. A little attention to detail that I didn't notice before, or a little, you know, camera movement that I I think is wonderful. Um, like what's for something instance, new? What's something new that you just uh, re either fell in love with or like re fell in love with again? Uh, I didn't 
I forgot that when Agatha is riding her bike, uh, every time we see her with all the Mendel's boxes, every time we see her from a distance, it's a miniature and it's stop motion animated. And the town is <laughs> miniatures. I don't know if I caught that. There's no town. The town that surrounds the Grand Budapest Hotel, there's like one set of a street and a newsstand. And every other time you see it, it's in miniature with animation. Okay. And like, I think that's what allows this to be a kind of ridiculous, beautiful fairy tale moment throughout. Yeah. You know, and even like when they successfully break out of jail and Monsieur Gustave is upset with Zero about forgetting the perfume. <laughs> yeah, in the car. Yeah. That's like oh, no, such in a the prison, the prison. Yeah. It's such a big blow up over nothing. But I mean, man's man's got to smell good. He just came off the pen. You know, you got to impress. Yeah, but I also. Like, I, I get why he was upset. I get why Zero is confused as to why he's like, every little interaction pays off, yes. you know? And that that moment uh, later on where he gets choked up talking about Agatha while talking to Jude Law, which I still think is amazing. And yeah, says, that was a really like, good, that was a really good scene. I don't want to talk about Agatha, but I, I'm aware that I have to. And it's, you know, revealed later that she she died from something that, you know... Is, is so easy to, to cure now. And, you know, they, they didn't have the time that they, they thought they would have. You know, you see that hope slow down. Yeah. It still doesn't stop, though. You know, the way that, that Zero in the bath when he is an adult says, I know and admire your wonderful work. It's still there. Joy is still there. You can go through this horrible thing where you lose your mentor and your wife and your child and you can still have joy yeah you know or you can live your life like like monsieur gustave who never had the love of his life he only had one really close friendship you know but there's still so much joy there who would you who life would you rather have would you rather be zero someone who fell in love super young had it all and then unfortunately lost it super young or would you be someone who is <laughs> basically a sugar baby to, like, the elderly? <laughs> mm-hmm. But also dies fairly young. Uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, he was in his, I would say, 50s-ish. Yeah, yeah I'd say late 40s, early 50s. I, uh, that's a really tough question. I mean, he he knocked out at least like two dozen of those old ladies, man. So, I just mean. why why blonde? Because they all were. <laughs> because they all were. Insecure, vain, superficial, blonde, needy. Like, that's such a like. I guess that I would I would have to say. I would rather have the life of of Monsieur Gustave, because. I'm rewatching a little sequence where they break out of jail now and immediately afterwards. And he has such a mission, you know, this whole thing starts and it's they're they're fighting. And then he realizes that he's being an ass and he apologizes on the behalf of the hotel. Yeah, because this is not fitting to this, the standards that he has set for for them or for himself. And 
that mission that he has, that drive that he has. I I hope that I can someday find something that I feel that strongly about. <laughs> um yeah. I can I can see how that having that sort of level of passion about something is pretty admirable. I can definitely say that. I can see that. Even the fact that he immediately remembers uh Ed Norton's character's name and remembers who how he was as a little boy and yeah. You know, because that's service, that's networking, that's, you know, creating these valuable connections like that is kind of crazy, inspiring in a lot of ways. I'm thinking about it now. Maybe maybe that maybe the hotel was his love, like his reputation Mm -hmm. in the hotel. Like that's what he loved and that's what he valued. Banging these old women with money. That was just kind of a perk <laughs> well, I, think, I think in his mind that was part of his job to the hotel was to make sure that people were happy yeah yeah uh you know and i i genuinely do think that this movie is about love in in a lot more ways than even you know the hotel is is gustav's and zero obviously has a lot but, like, let's take a look at the uh, Degafum Taxis children. What does Dimitri love? Because it's clearly not his family. Yeah. And what use is one picture lost when they have that estate and they have everything else entirely to themselves? Yeah. But that's not what it's about. It's about control. It's about ownership. It's about, you know, domination. He loves money. That's what he's there for. Yeah. Jopling loves violence. <laughs> and we get to watch his love story with violence. Maybe that's why I find it so charming, you know, because everybody's motivation is, I won't say pure necessarily, but it's a lot more stylized than it would be if this I, were like Christopher Nolan's The Grand Budapest Hotel. I think, well, I think, I think when you use pure, I think the better word is probably just honest. Like mm-hmm. every, like no one, I think people, they have to them below the surface, but they're very upfront about like who they are and what they want and what they're trying to accomplish. Yeah. And so some of that is in vanity. Yeah. But at least they're like, I want this fucking painting back. Um, I want to be a Nazi in this fly ass leather black ass coat i I, to this day am so mad that the nazis have like in this movie and in everything have such good tailoring it pisses me off Uh, yo that jacket has to be at least a grand maybe oh yeah no it's great (laughs) but also like uh i'm i'm also watching the the sequence right now where uh, all the concierges are calling each other I didn't notice until the very that very last scene where, the, where Zero gets married that they all were basically like the Infinity Stones of hotels. Yeah, concierge. but I, I just love Takeover. Like, they all have different color schemes. It's so good. Takeover. It's, it's a really, so it's a really good movie, man. Like it's, like I said, like it is something a movie that I would definitely, I would probably actually enjoy more on the rewatch, and I really enjoyed the first watch of it. So mm-hmm. there's a, there is a lot to extrapolate from, from Grand Budapest hotel. Yeah. What from the three movies though, 
And I'm I'm guessing maybe it's probably going to be maybe just between Moonrise Kingdom and Grand Budapest Hotel. But who is your favorite character of these three movies? I think for me, I think it's easy Gustav. Like Gustav is yeah. my guy. That is my guy. <laughs> he, he might be mine too. Uh, although I would like to give uh, like a big nod to Agatha. Okay. I really I really love her. Um, I really love the. I, I don't steal art, and I'm a baker. And he's like, you're a pastry artist. Like, I I very much appreciate this degree of practicality that she has, but also this, you know, romanticism that when at the end she is able to to do this poetry about the two brothers, you know, or she she her willingness to be brave yeah i really appreciate um i think i think gustav might be my guy because there's that moment where he's like and grab a grab a bottle of the brut so we don't have to drink that cat piss they serve in the dining car and i was like (laughs) yeah (laughs) man i do agree with you that it is pretty noble to really be committed to something beyond yourself. I do think that he does love the hotel and his job, and he takes it very seriously. Um, that is something that I kind of do admire about him. Like, he's... <laughs> even in the shitty poetry, <laughs> like he's, like, spouting all to his employees, but he's at least trying to command a sense of pride mm-hmm. in what the hotel is. And yeah. Like I've worked in, you know, plenty of industries, plenty of jobs where no one takes any pride in what they do at all. Mm-hmm. So being a part of someone that actually does have that sort of pride, it's actually pretty, it's pretty rewarding, honestly. Yeah, and I also love, uh, like when Zero is talking about Monsieur Jean, the uh, Jason Schwartzman concierge, which also please know that when uh, fucking What's his name says, uh, hi, I'm Monster Chuck. I like the <laughs> first time I watched that, I literally shrieked. I was like, oh my god, like the idea that like being a concierge is a, a thing, not just a thing of pride, but like a lifestyle. Like, yeah. that is a thing that you are, it's not just a thing that you do, yeah. Like I said, I really like I would love to find something that I feel that that strongly about, you know, and I'm willing to lead this kind of monastic lifestyle to uphold. Yeah. You know, I I, think we're I think we're all searching for that, honestly. Like, I don't think there's not a person that wants to be committed to that doesn't want to be committed to anything. Like even for people that, you know, they boast and say, I don't give a fuck, you know, you know. I'm doing me all that bullshit. Like I think people are in search of Mm -hmm. like every, everyone is looking for something to be a part of in their life and to make their name in something. So, um, fuck me. I, I I am. (laughs) Yeah. I, I will just say though, I, I really love, I really like Susie a lot in Moonrise Kingdom. I like everyone in Moonrise Kingdom a lot, but I, (laughs) all right. You ready for some some weird uh some weird cat confessions time? Always ready, baby. Always. Uh, so I was 
pretty religious growing up. I was very involved in church. Um, I, I was Episcopalian. You put that Catholic shit down. Uh, oh! <laughs> but uh, when I was 11 or 12, I was in uh, Noise Flood, the opera that they're doing in Moonrise Kingdom. Holy shit. <laughs> That's cool. And I played the Raven, which is what what Susie is. Look at you. Time is a flat circle. <clears throat> uh, and I was also very much the black sheep in my, my church choir group, uh, which I think is partially why I was cast as the Raven. Oh, <laughs> damn. <laughs> So I very much understood some of the feelings that she had. Now, obviously, that for me didn't manifest violently. And I have a, I would say, comparatively stable home life. Yeah. Uh, but I, I definitely see that. Well, I'm 12 and I'm a woman now, so I need to put on eyeshadow. <laughs> you know, kind of attitude that she has. These are my books. I like stories with magic powers in them, either in kingdoms on Earth or on foreign planets. Usually I prefer a girl hero, but not always. I couldn't bring them all because it got too heavy. You can buy one you want. Thank you. I also brought my lefty scissors because I'm left-handed, some rubber bands, uh-huh. extra batteries, my toothbrush, and my binoculars, as you know. Yeah. I forgot my comb, but I'll use my fingers. library books and my school you're only allowed to check out one at a time some of these are going to be overdue do you steal why you're not poor i might turn some of them back in one day i haven't decided yet i know it's bad i think i just took them to have a secret to keep anyway for some reason makes me feel in a better mood sometimes are you depressed? How come? Well, I can show you an example if you'd like. But it doesn't make me feel very good. Anyway, I found this on top of our refrigerator. Yeah. And I think, I don't think I've seen that as well represented in a film, maybe ever. Especially for someone that young. Like. Yeah, I'm trying to think. Um, hmm. You know, because that that play acting at adulthood is is a very real thing. And I think it happens in a more permanent way at a lot younger of an age for women, which is really unfortunate. But I really love the way that that it is portrayed there. So even though she may not be my favorite, I really love it. And I, I appreciate that. And it is surprising to me that that was able to come from a male writer and director. Because he co-writes his movies with one other man, doesn't he? Yeah. Because, uh, like, I, I have an uncle who I love very much. But he used to uh, give me a lot of advice about how to be, like, a young woman. Ooh. Which is, like, not a thing he has any experience with at all. <laughs> yes, I would say so. 
So the fact that, like, I would probably let Wes Anderson give me advice about, like, how to have been a young woman is, like, (laughs) surprising to me. And even watching a couple of the moments where where she's like, and you're in Sunday school shoes. And she's like, I am not. Like, I can walk. I'm constantly, you know, she's constantly kind of having to justify her worth, which is a a very real thing that happens when you're a young woman. Unfortunately, yes. I also like that uh, this is like a very small thing, but at the very, very end of the movie, she is wearing the earrings still. You know, the part that takes place like a, a year oh, later, yeah. that little button. She's still she's still wearing the earrings, which I thought was very sweet. He's still wearing the um the the lapel piece when he gets yeah. to the cop car. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think Grand Budapest Hotel is my favorite just a little bit more because like it has the line of like he gave her five dozen individually uh, wrapped white tulips that all came in the box the size of a child's coffin. That was so weird. <laughs> like those. <laughs> As someone who has been very female presenting for a lot of my life and has really enjoyed a lot of very feminine things, but also will sit down and watch some wrestling or watch like a, a very kind of masculine movie. I really like that a lot of what happens in this movie is very masculine, but is aesthetically coded very feminine. I like a good blurring of a line. And I like that this movie isn't pink for girls or blue for boys. It's kind of purple for everybody. Yeah. Purple for everybody. I like that. That's a good note to end on, man. I I don't have anything smarter than that. I know that much. (laughs) (laughs) You just got to watch it a couple more times. I definitely see why that movie and even in Moonrise Kingdom Susie's character will be pretty important to you I think they I do think they are pretty good movies man I'm I'm glad we did um well for myself I'm glad I watched this instead of uh you know Rise of Skywalker <laughs> but, but no I'm I'm in all seriousness I am glad that I did watch these movies um Isle of Dogs it was a decent movie. Um, like I said, I think it's, I think it works better as if he commits to more doing like a children's movie, which I mean, looking at his, his content, I mean, I think he can do it. I just don't think he really has actually, you know what? Well, I was going to say, Mr. Fox is a really solid family film. Yeah. I was going to say, I was about to say, I don't know if he has interest in doing it, but for as much as he kind of values like, like boys and girls like sort of falling in love with each other and kind of like self-discovery like i could really see him doing a good kids movie not like not saying like it's like breakfast club along those type of lines but um but i mean shit it could be it could be honestly like i don't think that he i think if he tried to broach you know kind of childhood in that sort of way i think it could be pretty interesting i'm not gonna lie but yeah. um, so you said the so you said he has a movie where it's kind of family oriented. You said uh, Fantastic Mr. Fox. Yeah, it's based off the Roald Dahl book, and Mr. Fox is voiced by George Clooney. Okay. Uh, and it's it's very good. I I really enjoy it, and that to me 
is where his kind of signature style really co- coalesces. Like it becomes like a its own thing. It's okay. not just like I like pastels. It becomes like this is my color palette for this movie. This is how the characters move. This is how the camera moves. You know, in a, in a way that is very defined. And now I think a lot of I would say avid moviegoers because a lot of non-avid moviegoers have not seen very many of his movies because uh, they aren't always wide released. Uh, feel is a very Wes Anderson style now. Yeah. So of the, so here's the directors that we've covered so far. So um, we've covered Christopher Nolan. We've covered George Lucas, Ridley mm-hmm. Scott, Ryan Johnson. Uh, now we've covered Wes Anderson. Um, of these directors that we've covered, would you say that Wes is your favorite director of these? I'm not sure. Um, because I think that Wes has made my favorite movies, but I think that on a consistency basis, I think Ryan Johnson is more consistent. Oh, okay. I agree. Um, I agree. Because I found the Darjeeling Limited to be very twee. Uh, mileage may vary on both Bombs and Life Aquatic. Uh, I happen to like them, but, you know... I think looking at it directly speaking, if I had to pick a favorite, it's Wes Anderson, but only just. Also, while thinking about Knives Out, I can't help but notice that there are a lot of Wes Anderson-esque visual flourishes in that movie. Uh, The Biden styles. And uh, I'm not mad about it i feel like knives out is if wes anderson tried to remake clue <laughs> i can well in that movie he definitely plays in the colors a bit so i can i can see it's, where it's the colors it's the camera movement is always on an axis when it's inside the house you know there's it's a lot of stuff like that humor's a little more dark though i mean Think about how many people die in Grand Budapest Hotel. And And how many of their deaths we laugh at. Yeah. I don't know that that it's a little darker. I would say it's about the same as Grand Budapest. I would say it's darker than, say, Moonrise Kingdom. Yeah. And the dog movie, yeah. I think of the... I think of the directors we've covered. um, I think... I think for me, it probably is going to be Ryan Johnson, mm-hmm. um, especially, I mean, George Lucas. I'm sorry, buddy. <laughs> I, I, I kind of want to watch American Graffiti, though, because I feel like we we may have shrifted George Lucas somewhat by only watching the prequels. If we watch American Graffiti, there's a movie that came around um, – a little bit around the time as American Graffiti called Cooley High. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's about, I mean, they're basically the same um, type of film. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't, I don't know where 
either one of those will be streaming or whatever, but I still think it's still pretty if we cover the I mean, I think we've covered one because of the other, but I definitely be down to watch um both of those films and like couple it with something else also. Um it doesn't have to be for this next week, but it can mm-hmm. be something that we plan out. And actually I was kinda thinking, um, for the, the next and again it doesn't have to be for next week, but for the next women the, I'm sorry, the next trilogy director that we cover, I think it should be a woman. Yes. Um so definitely bring some women directors in the mix. I'm definitely down for that. But Wes Anderson, you're all right in my book, buddy. You're all right in my book. What a guy. Uh, Find Kat at Kat Chinetti on Twitter, Twitch, and Instagram. Find Marcus at Show and Mad Love on Twitter and Instagram. S-H-O-I-N-M-A-D-L-O-V. Please join our Facebook group at We Should Do This Again Sometime and follow us on Twitter at Kat, K-A-T, and Mark, M-A-R-C. Read us at catseesmovies.tumblr.com and themarkrob, T-H-E-M-A-R-C-R-O-B.wordpress.com. Be sure to tip your waitress at Catherine Chinetti on Venmo. This podcast is executive produced by Kellen Conley and Eric Greenley under Hyphen Podcast Group in conjunction with It's Like a Podcast or whatever. Thanks again for listening. We should do this again sometime.